You are listening to the Magnetic Marketing Marketing Secret Gold Members Only Podcast. If you are not, what you wind up being is uh, a specialist to different target markets or audiences, none of them noticing the other. Uh, And so if you're, I just looked at you so it came into my mind, if you're a real estate person, um, you could be a specialist in waterfront vacation homes marketing to people who are target prospects to buy second homes and you could be a specialist over here to first time buyers and as long as you maintain two completely separate identities two completely separate marketing tracks uh, one is not going to take any notice of the other and vice versa but each will perceive you differently than if you're just a real estate agent who does both of those things and everything else known to man and so I think you whether it's product or whether it's service, you benefit through specialization. And one of the best aspects of specialization is is that it bumps price. Uh, People will pay more for the specialized product um, than the non-specialized product. Um, and, And it's even just the appearance of specialization can bump the price. Uh, many of you has I am we're in the in the information business um, if you take the example that I often use if you take a like a generic time management product and we do six tapes and a workbook and a day planner on time management uh, what could we sell that for 69 bucks 79 bucks maybe 99 bucks we're going to be in the Nightingale Conan pricing arena but if we take the same stuff and it's now time management for dentists, what can we sell it for? 300 bucks, yeah. yeah. Now if it's time management for dentists with multiple offices, now we're in 500, 600, 700. If it's time management for orthodontists with multiple, and on and on and on, the tighter you cut up the, the specialization, the more the perceived value goes up. Then if you use what we talked about before, recycle, 90% of the material is the same. Uh, 90% of the actual physical stuff is the same. But the little change allows you to take a marketing position with that that adds enormous um, value. Um, Sort of a corollary to that. I am, uh, I am constantly intrigued by discovering weird, funny little markets, you know, that any one of them in and of themselves is no big deal, but if you go do 12 of them, uh, then they are big things. I, I just want, this is one of the ones that caught, I had no idea this existed. This came from my desk. So this, this is a guy, now somebody in here probably will immediately know. How many of you remember Heath Kits? We had when we were kids, right? You build radios and stuff. This is a guy. Uh, been a subscriber to a small hobbyist magazine called Speaker Builder. Does anybody get this magazine? Huh? One. Oh, it's yours? Okay. <laughs> ten, it's read by a diehard group of about 10,000 audio enthusiasts reminiscent of the Heath Kit days. These are people whose hobby is building speakers. Yeah. 
Uh, there's another piece of information. We really do not want to know what you do in your spare time. Um, um, anyway, he's found a guy in here that's running these ads and runs these ads all the time, so he's concluded he must be making money, which is not a bad conclusion. It's interesting. Like, the guy's selling a manual for 170 bucks on how to wind transformers, which is how to wrap magnet wire around steel. Um, now, you know, it's a tiny, dinky little market, but what happens is sometimes the responsiveness of these people, because nobody ever goes there and offers them anything, it's kind of like taking a seminar to a real small, distant town instead of a big city. Since nobody ever comes there, everybody comes. And so these little markets can sometimes be hugely responsive and hugely profitable, and you may be able to take whatever it is that you do and repackage it over and over and over again so that it appears to be specialized to one tiny little group after another as opposed to being general for all of them and, and you gain margin by doing it. This may be, of all the stuff I teach in marketing, this may be the most important. And so I'm going to show you something in a second that I've shown you before. Um, sensitivity to the market. Um, the way you get extraordinary response from marketing messages is being so in tune with the market that they feel you uh, sleep with them, that you understand their entire life experience in minute detail from light bulb on in the morning till light bulb on at night. And when you strike that level of uh, of being in sync with the market, sometimes you can get enormous market shares and an enormous response from uh, uh, and with that in mind, uh, and so, many of you have seen these before, but they're worth running by you once before. The, these are my 10 smart questions uh, about markets. Um, one is, what what keeps them awake at night? You know, what has them um, sleepless? What's really bugging them so bad they can't sleep? Um, uh, what are they scared of? And everybody's scared of something. What are they scared of? Uh, who are they mad at? That, by the way, is a great one. Um, when you take a group of people and you align yourself with them against an enemy that they hate, uh, your response percentages, your success with that market goes up dramatically. Um, if you are, for example, if, you're, if in your market the vast majority of them happen to be politically conservative, then one or two little digs put into your copy or what you say, boost your response. Oh, he's one of us. He's mad at the same people. If they happen to be liberal, in the other direction. Um, if they, in healthcare today, they're all mad at managed care, you've got to be against managed care if you're going to sell to healthcare practitioners. Who are they mad at? Selling against the enemy is one of the best uh, strategies that there is. Uh, what are their top three daily frustrations? Um, get the list. If you don't know, talk to enough of them that you get consensus. Uh, but you need to know. Uh, what trends are occurring in their businesses and or in their lives? Uh, 
that are significant? What do they secretly want, which may not necessarily be the same as what they say they want? Is there a built-in bias to the way they make decisions? That's like, you know, if you're going to sell to engineers, you sell differently than if you're going to sell to car sales guys. Because the engineers are relatively analytical, the car sales guys have not had an analytical thought ever. Um, do they have their own language? Almost every group does. Every group. Right? Every profession has its own language. Every hobby group has its own language. Uh, every political group has its own language. Every religious group has its own language. You must talk the language. They will spot that quicker than they will spot anything else. And so you need your dictionary for that market. You need your thesaurus for that market so that you can talk to them in the way that they talk to each other. Um, Number nine, who else is selling something similar to them and how are they doing it? Useful to know that. Who are they buying from? Are they buying from somebody on the net? Do they buy from mail order? Do they not buy from mail order? Does somebody have to come and sell them something? Uh, who else has tried selling something similar to them and has failed? What did they do? That's useful to know uh, as well. The more you know and the more in sync you are with a marketplace, um, the better you will do. Next, marketing key. Most clients do too little of this. <coughs> um, we're all in a hurry. We all think we know a heck of a lot more than we do. Um, and all too often, uh, we're not intelligently testing. Now, sometimes you can do well without it, and that's what has to be present. Huge margins, a lot of talent, and some luck. Um, I still, the very first full-page ad I ever created for a client, the guy bought $220,000 worth of media without ever testing the ad. Um, we got lucky <laughs> more than anything else, but if you want to, I got a lot of talent. Uh, the product had huge margin, and we got lucky, but it's no way to buy media. Uh, what you want to do, so everybody understands testing, is you want to get a control, what's called a control in direct response. So an ad, a sales letter, a postcard, a broadcast fax, whatever it is, that works for you reliably at a level that is acceptable to you. And that, and that you're going to use, have the opportunity to use for a long period of time. Then. You test one variable at a time to try and improve its performance. Only one. See, if you test more than one, you don't know what worked and what didn't. So you got to test. If you're going to test, if you're going to change the headline, you can't change anything else. If you change the headline, the price, and the photograph, you've accomplished nothing because now you don't know. So you test one thing at a time. The reason very few people do this is because it's painful. You know, it takes time, it requires discipline, somebody's got to track the numbers, uh, and so 
very little of this gets done. But if you are concerned with maximum profitability in a business, you will discipline yourself to do it. Uh, the same thing with racehorses, by the way. You can only change one piece of equipment at a time. And then you've got to race them a couple times, and then you've got to go change another piece of equipment. And what happens to a lot of people is they change five pieces of equipment at one time, and then nobody knows nothing. And you've got to start all over again. This requires enormous patience. But if the payoff justifies the patience, then one variable at a time. And always remember that dinky little things can make a difference. I just want to show you one example that came to me quickly. We don't have a woodruff here, do we? We have woodruff? No. The only thing, here's the envelope prior to the change. It's a window envelope, right? Phony check shows through it when it's stuffed, and it's got a corporate return address on it. Right? The only change he made is a red rubber stamp that says workers' compensation on the outside. That's it. 33% increase in response. It's the only change. And now, if we could sit here and talk about 56 things that are wrong with the envelope, by the way, I can tell them a zillion other things to test, but one little thing, 33% increase in response. He's in the insurance business. He's getting appointments to sell workers' comp insurance. Uh, I'm amazed it made that much of a difference, but it did. And you never know if you don't keep testing against your controls. Yeah? Uh, I started having my clients to put out the photo of what on the outside of them? A photo enclosed. Mm. And just the mere fact that this is photo enclosed, people want to get inside the envelope to see what the photo is. That's no relevance. It's not a photo of anyone. Yep. Now the next thing for him to test, that probably will bump it more, is do not bend photo enclosed. As dumb as, no, I'm serious, that's liable to bump the response even more because it implies a value to the photo. Right? That, it, the bump he got is because curiosity, what is this photo about? Now if we imply it has value besides, we're liable to get another bump. But the, naked photo and cost, yeah, okay. <laughs> There are, if you choose to use that, there are laws about how you say that and how you, yeah, okay. Um, uh, this is very simple, this is logical, but it sets up what I want to show you. If you're perceived as a commodity, people make decisions by price if that's the only way they have to make a decision. That's the only time people buy by price, if that's all you've given them. If they can't tell the difference, one dentist, same as another. How much does it cost to do a crown? Call two, one guy says X, the other guy says Y, they go to Y. If neither one of the dentists gives them any differentiation, that's how they're going to make their choice. And that's how you and I would choose things too. Tires are tires, right? So if nobody gives you any differentiation, if you're going to go buy four new tires for your car, if you care at all about money, you'll check prices in a couple places, look at a Sunday paper, check the prices in the ads, and go buy the tires from the guy with the cheapest price. Right? So you've got to differentiate against price. Here's the five ways you differentiate. One is the product, the product itself. Um, doesn't happen very often when the product itself contains the differentiation on its own. But it is there. I mean, 
diamond versus cubic Z. There's clearly uh, the, the product itself differentiates. Um, process. One of the biggest process changes uh, to a basic commodity product that was ever invented was the Book of the Month Club. Right? The process of the, the process changed. The product didn't change. Still a book. But the guys that invented Book of the Month Club created a whole new value positioning based upon the selection and the delivery. And consequently, the blank of the month club has, of course, proliferated to every product category where you could possibly apply it. Uh, can you change the game with process? Um, the personality. Hmm? Uh, again, our friend in trouble, Peterman, was a great example of a personality-driven business. Uh, his personality and his first-person copy about his products created differentiation that allowed them to charge more for a commodity item. Is that what Oh, yeah, that's totally personality-driven. Now, however, Simmons is, a, Simmons is a great, I mean, Simmons is a great marketer and um, woefully underestimated by a lot of business people. But if you look at his new show, and by the way, you guys should all watch infomercials. If you don't watch them, you should watch them. Um, do you have Simmons, by the way, giving away your tape as a premium? Do you have him giving the compliance tape away? You should be chasing him because he's moving big units. Uh, they're, doing, uh, they're, they're doing over a million a week. Um, uh, Simmons' latest show, if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. Do you remember the deal meal show? Yeah. Little wallet deal, and you move the card over here. When you eat the thing, you move the card, and at the end of the day, all the cards are supposed to be wherever the hell they're supposed to be. Well, all he's done is bring the same product back, but it's a plastic case with a tab, but it's the same deal. The pitch is the same. It's move the blue card to the green slot, and you'll lose weight. And, uh, and oh, by the way, if you feel like jumping up and down a little, here's a music tape. That's pretty much the pitch. The, the product has, some, has an, an inherent between other weight loss products. But the main differentiation is him. I mean, he's selling him just as Tony is selling Tony. And the customer is buying into him. Uh, service, a service differentiation. Um, uh, FedEx changed service as we know it um, in, in, in their in industry. Um, in, uh, I saw, I forget what city I was just in, but I saw an auto dealer's uh, service department um, advertising um, that they would come, pick the car up, bring the loaner, give you the loaner, take the car. So they got like three employees involved in this process now shuttling cars back and forth. But it was like 100% convenience. You could not, 24 hours a day, they'll come get your car when you get home at night at 8 o'clock, take it in, they'll have it back before you go to work in the morning, on and on. They're trying to differentiate with service. And last, if you, you know, if you don't, if none of that occurs, then you have to differentiate with smarter marketing. Uh, you have to have them not looking at uh, prices at all. Um, this is huge. Um, well, it's, a, it's incredible how clients just don't get it, you know? Uh, they want to talk about how much better their product is for this guy's product. But you don't know that till after you bought it. So it's no advantage pre-sale. It's an enormous advantage after the fact to have the best thing 
because then you have happy customers who will give you a lot more money and will refer people to you and so forth. But having the best thing gives you no marketing advantage whatsoever because they can't tell. They can only judge the story. That's why books get judged by their cover. That's why attractive people get more dates than unattractive. I mean, because it's all we can look at. So you've got to get out of your head the idea that you deserve some kind of success in the marketplace because you got the best doodad in your category. Um, it's not an asset. It's not an advantage. In many cases, it's a disadvantage because it's hard to get this idea out of your head if you really do have the best doodad. That somehow that ought to be enough. It, 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 it's the variation of, I do a great job, so I shouldn't have to market. I got the best product, I shouldn't have to market. See, they can't tell until they get it. So product superiority, no marketplace advantage until after the sale. You still need the best marketing in order to get the job done, uh, not necessarily the best uh, product. Um, Ideally, you put both of these in a business. Um, the, the first one, sometimes, uh, sometimes a car terminology for that slack adjuster. Um, you want something in your business that is um, high price, high margin, and either happens a little on an ongoing basis or can be made to happen periodically where you can get a huge amount of money in a hurry. Um, it, makes up for, it makes up for a lot of other uh, small margin activity, margin slippage. In our business, it's easy. In the seminar business. In other businesses, it's, it's not so easy. But you want to look for it. Um, how can you create out of your loyal, happy, customer base a periodic big payday where some percentage of them will rise up and give you a large sum of money for something. Um, we finally invented it, I told you about that Eagle business earlier, um, after monumental amounts of struggle we did find one way to do this um, and that was the occasional limited edition art print which is limited to the number we can sell. That's the limited edition. Um, that's in the tiny little print at the bottom of the brochure. Um, uh, we, we were able to go to that list with a limited edition art print of eagles on the prints and sell a piece of paper that cost under a buck for close to $1,000 and sell a substantial quantity of them. That was the big payday in that business. Uh, had we stayed in the business, my strategy would have been to go to limited edition figurines and limited edition other things and set these big paydays up three or four times a year so that literally you could justify being in the entire business at break even just that's the best position to put yourself in. Not that you want to not make money every place else. Ideally, you want to make, you never want to do loss leaders like supermarkets. Ideally, you want to make money on everything you do. But a great position to be in is if you didn't make money on anything else you did, the periodic big paydays would be sufficient to uh, justify being in the business altogether. The, the opposite of that, I guess, really is 
<coughs> to make sure you have some consistency factor in your business some part of your business that chugs along and routinely brings in a predictable amount of money day in day out week in week out month in month out um, the in many of our kind of businesses information business or, or mail order product businesses this is somehow a continuity business where they get a new bottle of Glop every other month and are automatically charged. They get their vitamins every month and are automatically charged. They get their newsletter every month and are automatically charged, whatever. Um, and that can be done in a lot of businesses where you don't see it much, but it is there and it can be done. Uh, ideally, you engineer both of these things into a business. Uh, sometimes you can't, but it's nice to have both. Um, this is kind of interesting. It's a, it's a different way of looking at something that I just got not too long ago. I was doing some consulting with a big company that puts people in the dry cleaning business, which by the way, we have any dry cleaners in the room? The economics in this business are amazing. Um, this is like the highest return on investment I've ever seen in my life. But here's the interesting thing. Here's the bottom line truth about the dry cleaning business. Four visit, if you can get them back four times, you got a customer for life until you screw up the cleaning so bad they're mad and leave. If you can get them there four times in a row, the car will automatically find its way there now without them thinking about they're resistant to coupons. They're not vulnerable to competition. They just keep coming back to where they formed that habit. That's uh, a truth from the dry cleaning industry. So this guy's strategy is when they open a new one, uh, there are one price cleaners. And so when they open a new one, they do some ridiculously low price offer, like any garment for 89 cents, uh, no limit, and a huge advertising blitz. And they tell me people come in, they got, they got every garment in the house. They've stripped the closets, the drawers, they've driven from 100 miles away, they called their sister, they, everybody comes. Biggest problem is handling it. Biggest problem is handling it. One grand opening, they had lined up down the street cars as far as you can see, waiting to get in with their stuff. Then, the second visit's automatic, they gotta come back to get it. Then his third deal is, when they leave with those calls, they got all kind of great discount coupons that are almost as good as the first offer. Not quite, but almost. Two first, three first, four first, bring three sport coats, the fourth one's free, you know, that kind of thing. And then, if they redeem a coupon, they gotta come back the fourth time to pick up the calls. At that point, they've got a customer locked in for life until they screw it up. It, it relates to the PowerPoint I had up there, you know, that the second sale is more important than the first, because once you've made the second, it's easier to make the third, easier to make the fourth. Amazingly, a lot of businesses don't put a lot of emphasis on this. What happens right after the first purchase? What happens right after the first transaction? You know, the direct response copy principle that Ted Nicholas teaches, you know, is, and Joe Sugarman too, what's, what's the job of the, of, of the first sentence? Job is to get them to read the second sentence. Okay. Uh, it's the job of the second sentence to get them to read the third sentence. Well, apply the same thinking here. What do we do after the first transaction to make sure we get a second transaction, preferably quickly? And what do we do after the second to make sure we get a third? And I'm betting that most businesses, this thing is true. If you can get four, you probably got them for life and they will continue to buy from you over and over and over again. Favorite principle? 
try not to abuse your customers. Um, here's what that means. Um, being lazy about either creating good stuff for them or making sure you're finding good stuff for them. Uh, when you have a customer base that trusts you, that is responsive to you, uh, two things are true. One, if you have any brains, uh, you will want to find a lot of things to sell to them because generally their capacity to consume will exceed your capacity to provide. And so you're in a constant race trying to find stuff to sell to them. But the second thing that is true is you don't want to sell them crap because you will quickly undo the entire relationship that you spent time building. Uh, in our business, you cannot imagine how many good, economically good opportunities I have to use my mailing list to sell stuff that is not good. And the temptation has to be resisted because then it undoes the whole relationship. And so the this is where the money is in a business. It's, in the it's not in the hard goods. It's not the buildings and the, all of that. All that can be replaced. If it burns down, you can move it. Uh, it. The guy that has the power in the marketplace is the person who has the customers. And as you do joint ventures, uh, if you do them, you will find out that this is true. A lot of people think the person with the product has the power. No, 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 no. Customers are hard. The person that has influence with a customer base deserves the maximum amount of the money in most joint venture deals and gets it in most joint venture deals and has, if there is equity to be built in the business, that's where the equity is. So treat your customers well. Last point, or close to last point. Here's an unpleasant certainty. If you're successful, you're gonna get knocked off. The more visibly successful you are, the faster you'll get knocked off and the more people will knock you off. Um, people spend a whole lot of time being mad about that. Uh, generally speaking, that's unproductive. This is gonna happen. And so your only option, there's nothing you can do to stop it. Your only option is to be ahead of them. Ray Kroc said, we invent faster than they copy. Well, everybody's copying what we're doing, the game, the promotion, the giveaway we're doing at McDonald's this week, we're rolling out the next new one. And we're figuring out what we're gonna do different next week and the week after that and the week after that. We're, we gotta stay ahead of them because we know they're gonna copy us. And they're only gonna be a week behind. So the race is on. In the infomercial business, it used to be with a get, like an exercise gadget or something, you had like six months to a year. Now you got like six days. I mean, they're out there, zap. Successful show, oh, we saw it five times, let's produce one that looks like it. It must be working. And somebody does a show and pretty soon there's 10 of them, all selling the same thing. <coughs> all you can do is stay ahead of it. And so if you design an ad and that ad works, you gotta figure you got three months, maybe, in most media, and then you're gonna have to replace it because the knockoff artists are going to copy it. And eventually you wind up, in some cases, having to do things you would not ordinarily do if there weren't a bunch of knockoff artists. It just mandates a whole lot of creativity we'd rather not have to deal with. Uh, well, that, that's, that's actually a better set of parameters. Is stuff that won't get you in jail, not stuff that causes you to lose sleep at night. Um, 
Huh, what a great question. What's the best thing you've ever done to wipe out a competitor? Yeah, I mean, I have it personally. I was racking my brains on uh, clients. Um, hmm. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that question, but I'll think about it. Uh, it's really a good question. Uh, I wish I had a good answer. Uh, it's really a good question. Um, close to the last slide. Yes, sir. The great question was. Well, maybe you got a great. The great. The great question was, what's the most effective thing you've ever done or had a client do to wipe out a competitor? And um, well, I mean, it's just. It's just. Yeah. Oh, that's cute. That's cute. Uh, if I knew the story, I forgot it. His story. That's cute. His story, a fast food operation opens across the street from an established one. On the day of their grand opening, the established guy closes and puts up a sign, closed in honor of our, uh, of our new neighbor, go visit them. They're not equipped to handle the flow of business. The whole thing turns into a travesty, and uh, everybody's mad at the other guy. That's cute. That's very cute. That's, that's slick. Um, if, if you... If you, if you look for places to increase your income, here's where you look. One is, can you raise your fees or prices without sacrificing volume or without sa sacrificing some volume but not sacrificing enough volume that, that it undoes all the profit that comes from raising the prices and the fees? Here's what I can tell you about raising prices. Almost everybody waits too long. There's a, um, there's a great interview Again, I, I was reading it, I think, yesterday at the Hair Place. Great interview with uh, the guy that produced Titanic. What's his name? Cameron. Cameron. Smart guy. Good interview with him this month in Premier Magazine. You ought to read it. One of the things he's talking about is how we can't put the genie back in the box in terms of the size of movie budgets. The movie going public has a certain level of expectation. We can't control the costs. What we should do is just bite the bullet and double the price of the tickets. His whole contention is the article is, screw this incremental increase stuff, jack the price of the tickets up. Will it hurt movie attendance? Not much, not long. He said, here's, here's the deal. Nobody just goes to the movies. The movie is part of an evening of entertainment. Dinner, stop afterwards, and it's probably the cheapest item on the whole budget. It'll take the bump. I, 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 he's, I mean, it, it's brilliant thinking. Most people wait too long they're afraid of this, and then they don't raise them enough. Uh, look for ways to increase the average transaction amount, meaning the amount of money they spend with you each time they spend money with you, and the, the way to do that is with upsells. Now, a lot of businesses don't use them at all or don't understand them, but in direct response, we all understand the upsell is what happens to you when you call in to order after the order is put in place. And then they will say, oh, by the way, as a result of because you're calling today or because it's Tuesday or because I'm blue, we got a special. And they'll add something to the order. It should be done in retail. It rarely is. It's done in the restaurant business. Some, uh, some chains do a better job than others. Look for ways to do upsells in your business. Increase the frequency of purchase activity. Get them back more often. And if you're a marketer who goes to them, go to them more often. Most marketers underuse their house list. 
Most marketers undermarket to their own customers. Their customers have a greater capacity and desire to consume than they fulfill. They are chasing the next new customer. Make customers multiply with little or no cost. Look for ways to stimulate referrals, to get customers, to bring you customers. Can't get a better customer, and generally referrals cost less than any other mechanism you can use to get them. Uh, Dr. Warner, you said you were getting a double seminar because you're getting chiropractic stuff all day long, which was not my intent. Uh, but I can describe a chiropractic a referral program to you on a break that's, yeah. that's kick butt. Yep. Do you ever uh, do anything to drive referrals? Every once in a while, we did the um, we did the uh, uh, um, uh, kill this dog campaign. Uh, what about a year ago for subscribers? Worked okay. wasn't gangbusters, but it worked okay. Um, I've not done a direct financial reward offer. I've thought about it, but I haven't done it, uh, and probably should. Um, there's a there's an inherent uh, thing in our kind of business, which is pass along. Um, your product itself gets shared, and it's why you always want to make sure to have marketing information in every information product because it gets passed around. Um, cut out the low profit stuff. Figure out what's least profitable. Get rid of it, and put in more profitable stuff. Uh, kind of simple, but a lot of people don't do it. You've been listening to one of our gold members only podcasts. Make sure you upgrade and become a diamond member and get access to the diamond members only podcast as well. On top of that, you'll also get access to the whole enchilada with all of Dan's courses and so much more. So make sure you upgrade to diamond now by going to diamondupgrade.com.